Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and I am once again not joined by fellow co-host Joe Wolfond, who remains on new dad duties for the time being. But I am thrilled to be joined by Ty Windish, host of the Giro Step podcast, Bucks expert. Ty, I'm sure you were hoping it was under better circumstances that you joined us after game two, but here we are in a 2 nothing series, and thank you regardless for joining us. I feel like it's actually more valiant on, on your part that you joined us uh, as the Bucks face a 2 nothing series deficit. You know, sometimes, thank you for having me, sometimes people, you know, it, you book a spot to come on a pod, the Bucks do something heartbreaking right before, and I, do you still want to come on? Are you sure? And it's like, this is what, this is our default. This is what Bucks folks are used to. We trust me, this will not deter us from recording. We might be at our finest when uh, the team is letting us down. So uh, happy to be here and talk about the Bucks. And I don't know what you mean. Everything's great. We had a generational Giannis game last night. That's the that's the spin. At least we got to enjoy that. I was going to say, you mentioned uh, some people might be like, oh, are you sure you want to come on? Well, now now I feel like a jerk because I didn't even give you that option. Oh, no, I was no, just, it's, it's, oh, I mean, why I was just you? like, why oh, they, they, it's, they're down to nothing. This might be better now for the exactly. content perspective. Okay, let's hop right into it then because um, I, I don't think there are many people better to have on this um, pod after a Bucks finals game. And I want to jump into it with this. Last night, following along on Twitter, obviously watching the game, you tweeted with, I think, a little bit of time left, maybe after the final whistle, simply two words. I'm disgusted. It was so, before. There was a couple minutes left. <laughs> okay. So that's, I think, a good jumping off point is as a Bucks fan, as someone who, you know, covers the t- like hosts a podcast about the team, you're watching your team in the finals, finally, as you mentioned, generational Giannis game. So please explain other than just okay they lost obviously they're down to nothing ty please explain the i'm disgusted tweet it was the lack of help uh and this has been a nightmare for the bucks regarding Giannis for years i mean never more so i think than like 2020 the bubble although Giannis didn't play great in the bubble either but just every playoff run before this one mostly it was like, well, the worst case scenario is not the worst, but you know, a bad scenario is Giannis looks really good, but clearly he's held back because nobody else shows up. And the Bucks' whole thing, the whole deal this offseason, bringing in Drew Holiday to pair with Chris and Giannis, take a little bit of burden off of both, help both to look much better, and make sure Giannis has the help that he needs around him. And you know, he does some nights. I mean, listen, they won five and six against Atlanta without him. Some Chris was great late in the Nets series and throughout a lot of the Hawks series. Uh, and Drew certainly was great for part of the Hawks series and two minutes of the Nets series. But it's I was disgusted that Giannis going out there on one leg with zero help, with the defense not really having to worry about anyone but him, and, you know, Pat Connaughton was the third leading scorer for a good amount of the game, or at least some of the game. Like those guys just needed to step up and hit shots. And this is one where, you know, a lot of Bucks losses, you look back at the thing Bud did or didn't do. And the Brooke Lopez's minutes are probably that, but it's hard to even get that upset about it just because it's a non-starter. If, if Chris is going to have 11 points in 41 minutes, Bud could be prime Popovich. I don't think it's going to matter. Like 
those guys just needed to be better and they weren't that night. And it doesn't mean the series is over, but it, it was just very frustrating and, and, and upsetting to me to watch Giannis do that impassionately yelling at these guys during timeouts. Like, let's go, let's do this. I'm here. I'm scoring. I'm getting foul trouble for every son. Like, let's go. And no one stepped up. So that's why I was, and still am disgusted. I don't blame you. Um, <laughs> You mentioned Giannis like yelling. This was, I'm pretty sure that was first quarter, maybe second quarter. It was the first half for sure. And I think that spoke volumes in its own right because look, Giannis is obviously a passionate, fiery guy. Like he plays the game with a lot of passion. But at least from my perspective, watching the Bucs as much as I do as someone who covers the league, and I'm sure you could probably speak better to this, but as fiery and passionate as Giannis is in the game, I, I don't remember seeing him like that with teammates. Not that even what he was doing was wrong. Like, I completely understood it. It's a finals game, like you said. He's looking at it like, yo, I'm here. Like, I'm doing what, like, every, let's go. But I don't remember him being that, um, I don't even know if demonstrative is the right word, but just that, like, animated with teammates and I don't personally I don't remember it and he smashed the chair at one point he like smashes his fist down on the open chair beside him and yeah the thing that like spoke volumes to me about that was like I said it was first half for sure it might have even been late first quarter as like he already kind of understood or or saw what was transpiring and this was after they had got off to a great start in the game from like a scoreboard perspective I think they went up eight or nine in the first maybe yeah, five they were up minutes. eight they were right. up eight before they blew it at the end of the first quarter right and so and so that's what I'm saying I, I just thought it was like a really interesting moment already where it's like he could already sense like oh man whether it was like these guys don't have it tonight or maybe they're not playing with a sense of, like, whatever it was, he sensed it early, and I thought that was really interesting. And then, yeah, like, this guy gave you 42 points on 70% true shooting, I believe, mm -hmm. while still hobbled. I mean, you could see it a couple times when he, you know, he banged with Chris Paul at one point, he fell to the floor, and he, he got up very gingerly and limped away. Like, this guy's playing with a hyperextended knee that a week ago or whatever it was when he first suffered the injury, like, we weren't sure he was going to play again this year. Yeah. And... For, for him to do what he's done through two games, and especially in game two, and to come out of Phoenix empty-handed, I have a feeling Giannis Antetokounmpo is as disgusted as you are this morning. <laughs> because, I, I mean, I would be, you know, if, if my teammates let me down like that. Yeah, I, I think we've seen a little bit more of demonstrative Giannis this postseason. I think... I think it was six or seven. I think it was seven before the Nets, Bucks All Access, later released he was kind of leading the team pregame speech in the tunnel before they went out. And it was not that fiery. It wasn't game intensity, but it was like just not the, the kind of thing you always saw from Giannis in years past. And I think maybe this year, maybe signing the deal helped, maybe just, you know, experience and age helped. But I feel like he is being more cognizant of the burden of a franchise player, right? Like I think – Years past, I mean, Jared Dudley was the vocal voice of the team. They were having to turn to these other leaders. And I mean, Giannis was, you know, 21 years old and, and not this caliber of a player yet. It's not a red flag on him. But, you know, he just has never been the, the franchise player before evolving into such with the Bucks. And I think it took him a few years, even talent-wise, after getting there to kind of figure out all the other stuff. And he still is figuring out all the other stuff that goes with it. So... Yeah, I think we're seeing that more. I certainly don't have a problem with it. Um, I, I hope that he gets through and, and motivates those guys to come out in games three and four 
with their backs against the wall because that's where the Bucks are at now. I mean, you don't need to win one of the first two on the road in the finals, but it's certainly the margins get tighter when you don't. That's for sure. I know, obviously, the Nets, if healthy, are the mo- are the most talented team Milwaukee's played in this run. But I think based on you know the Nets that they ended up facing, I'd say not just because this is the finals, but this Suns team probably is the you know, best or at least most like in tune, in rhythm, um, you know, kind of playing at their peak powers team Milwaukee has played in this run. So while I agree with you that, you know, it's it's by no means over, they can very well win both games in Milwaukee now. It definitely feels like quite the task to just think of it like, okay, they now have to beat this team four out of five, you know, and at least once in Phoenix. I think the frustrating thing too, like at least for me as someone who's just like a neutral observer is one thing I've said on the show this season and I've written about it too is that like in a vacuum, I think Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, you know, whichever you consider your second or third best player, I think those guys for as much flack as they've gotten are actually good enough to be the second and third best players on championship teams. The one thing I've said is that I think what like the, the interesting thing is that because of Giannis's specific offensive limitations, his like second guy maybe needs to be more of like a traditional offensive closer or championship closer type guy. And so while Middleton and Holiday in a vacuum are like good enough to be the second and third best players on the championship team, maybe one of them isn't good enough to be that like championship level closer that a guy like Giannis needs because of his limitations. But the thing is, the frustrating thing for me right now in this series is that based on the offensive production Giannis is providing, regardless of any of those limitations, just because when he when he is at his best and he's that unstoppable inside, getting to the rim, all of that, it doesn't matter about his limitations. So the frustrating thing now is like, okay, well, now, and I think you even tweeted, like, they didn't need prime Kobe from from no, one of these guys. Yeah. Like, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, for all of that stuff I said, they they don't even have to play up to their own capabilities when Giannis is playing like this. They just need to be, like, solid, you know? Yeah. And if we're being honest, they couldn't even be that. No, I mean, that, that was the really frustrating thing with how close that game was. I mean, they... I think a pet counted in three, could have cut it to three, but he missed. So they were down six pretty late in the fourth quarter. And even game one, I mean, we got a more limited Giannis and not as much Giannis. They won his minutes in game one, too, and they were close in late in game one. And again, it's like both games were at least a little bit for the taking. You had chances to win and didn't. And that's going to haunt you in the finals when you only get, you know, seven tries at most. So, um, but yeah, I, it was the frustrating part for me wasn't that you know, Chris and Drew gave it their all and just weren't good enough. That would be frustrating too. And you'd have to, you know, quietly think about the off season and trade market or whatever the hell else. I don't know what, what would even happen there, but that would be easier to sit with than like even a, um, like 40% of your average game, right. Or like uh, if 50% is your average, like if you were at, both guys are at 40%, you're probably good. And Drew was closer than Chris. It's just like you can't come out and be 10% in the finals. And again, I think especially Chris, games one and two have been his worst for whatever reason, all series. If he comes out and plays amazing three through seven, probably going to need seven. Definitely going to need seven now. Um, Maybe it doesn't matter. I think it still matters, but it doesn't matter that much in the grand scheme. But (laughs) it, it was just brutal to see both of them and more so Chris 
just not bring it in this game and not have it, it's like you just can't. You just can't be that off in, in this level of play and be expected as a second slash third guy. We can call him co-second, whatever you want to say. I mean, I think Chris had reestablished himself for most of the run until this. Right now, I'm just like, whatever. It's Giannis and then Pat and then a bunch of other guys. Got to love Pat Connaughton being maybe <laughs> the second best buck in the finals thus far. There was a play early fourth quarter. I think the Bucks had actually cut it to four, if I'm not mistaken. Four yeah, or six. I think they did. I know and then six, I think Giannis went four. to the bench yeah. for like two minutes maybe. And within those two minutes or whatever it was, um, the Suns extended it back to double digits. But there was one play when it was at four or six. And it looked like Middleton, who had the ball, had Devin Booker beat on the baseline. Because in terms of, you know, as great as Devin Booker is, he's still not like a standout one-on-one defender. And so Chris Middleton, as he should, beat him on the baseline. And it looked like he had a path to the rim on a baseline drive. Now, you know, whether it could have been a layup or at least just like penetrate the D, kick it out. But it looked like he had a path to do something that would have been beneficial for the Bucs offense. And he pulled it out. And I don't even remember this. Like, it, and it kind of like shocked me because it was like, whoa, he just had Booker beat on the baseline. Like could have done something with it. Pulled it back to the corner. So Booker like reestablished his defensive position. And then he just gave the ball to Drew Holiday. And then Drew ended up forcing like kind of like a tough, weird yeah. mid-range floater that missed badly. And I thought that kind of summed up um, both Chris's night and Drew's night. Because from Chris's perspective, I thought he didn't force the issue enough. Um, you know, he's in my mind, he's like way too talented a player and of a scorer, frankly, to not force the issue when he's having a bad game. Like, it's fun, man. You're a perennial all star. Like, you're a great scorer. You can, you know, have a bad shooting night and still force the issue and still have a great game if it, you know, it starts to flow for you. Like, don't give up on it that easy. But that to me, that play encapsulated his night and also Drew's because Drew's his issue was definitely not being um gun shy or no. or not forcing the issue if anything he was forcing it a little too much given his his shooting woes but yeah so I thought that play in particular just kind of really summed up the non-Giannis Bucks attack it was just kind of brainless in a way between yeah. those two guys and and obviously lifeless too yeah I mean I think in general Chris has not looked a lot of times in this playoff run He's finally looked like he's 6'8", like he's been scoring around the basket more. He's been grabbing more rebounds. He's been making more of an impact on defense. And like with his size and touch, I mean, if you have anyone beat around the baseline, I mean, even if you even if someone's going to come contest a layup, just spring straight up and, and float it in like his touch is so good. I mean, I know he wasn't getting a good, you know, he had a, he had a few rim outs in that game, I will say, and I, it just can't get to you. You just have to keep shooting if you're Chris Middleton. Um, but yeah, I, I think just in general, the fact that they couldn't score outside of Giannis and outside of the first quarter felt like they weren't being able to score in the paint. And that's just like this Bucks team where they're at now and just where, where they end up every postseason, they're not going to beat a lot of teams just by out shooting them. Like they need to dominate the paint to win. That is the way their team is built. So at least for this season, like Giannis and Brooke Lopez are two of your best players. Drew Holiday is better at scoring inside than out. And I think he's having a little trouble dealing with the spacing when Giannis and Brooke are out there. But, you know, it's not that hard. Those guys are talented. Like, they're, they're, if the defense converges on you, there's lob opportunities all over the place. Because outside of Aiton, who's still smaller than Lopez, like, there's no other bigs who are going to play, really. I mean, Kaminsky is – if Kaminsky deters you from anything on defense, then I don't, I don't even know what to say. But 
Um, the Bucks just need to get to the paint more. They need to own the paint. That's how they started out strong. And I remember I thought it was funny because I saw takes like, oh, it's not sustainable for the Bucks to, you know, be scoring, outscoring the Suns 20 to zero in the paint. And to zero, it's not. But Phoenix was taking and just making a ton of jumpers. So I don't, I didn't see why it wasn't sustainable that the Bucks could just keep going to the paint. And that's where you win. I think that's where this team wins games. But uh, they haven't been able to do so enough against Phoenix for my liking. I uh, would like to certainly see Drew. Drew's getting there. Just make layups would be the adjustment there. And I think Chris, in addition to just needing to see his jumpers fall, he needs to get down there a little bit more too. And even if it's not a layup, like, you know, his classic post up the smaller guy, get to 15 feet and then make the turnaround. Like those shots have been cash for him the whole run. I need to see more of that unless, you know, one dribble straight on pull up or whatever. Did you see anything from Phoenix's perspective when you were watching the game that was like, okay, well, like they've taken this away in the paint? Or did you see it more as for whatever reason, the Bucks either stopped getting there or just kind of like started crapping the bed once there and for whatever I mean you mentioned Drew like Drew had some layups last night that I don't even know how he missed like it wasn't for yeah. a lack of effort it just somehow did not fall for him uh so yeah did you think it was more of like the the Suns doing something different to take their the Milwaukee's paint attack away after that first quarter or do you think it was more like self-inflicted on the Bucks part I think it was a little bit more self-inflicted because they just didn't play Lopez as much in the second half. I mean, I think he plays the first 10 or so minutes and the Bucks are up eight and they pull him and Drew for Teague and Portis and the lead is immediately cut down to two or three or whatever, three at, at, after one. Um, wasn't a great call. I just think the Bucks, their adjustment was, okay, we're not going to give you the Lopez onto book and CP switches immediately anymore. You're going to have to earn them. We're going to fight a little harder to keep drew on CP and, and PJ on book or whoever. And as much as possible have Brooke back there with Aiton. I, I wouldn't it's a drop, but he's really just hanging around with Aiton the whole time. So I, I guess it is a drop, but it's not, not like the drop they used in the second half of game one. And I thought that was the early, that was like the whole early paint points difference. I mean, offensively, it was a lot of Giannis, but defensively, they let Brooke be comfortable and he was good. They won Brooke Lopez's minutes in this game, or they lost him by one, excuse me. I think they won the second half Brooke Lopez minutes, but he only logged 13. So I thought going away from him made it a lot easier for Phoenix to score. I know Jackson Frank, who's been all over, he covers every team, he's all over covering the Bucks this series. After game yeah. one, he tweeted a clip of uh, Lopez was off the floor and a son made like an easy layup, just got to the rim and, and set the ball in. And Jackson's caption was, um, oh, yeah, you can't have Brooke Lopez out there and give up contested mid-range jumpers. And it's like, it's like pick your poison. Yeah. The Bucks have been so good at picking the right poisons. Yeah. I don't understand not playing him. So I think that made it easier for Phoenix, especially with their bigs in foul trouble for a lot of the second half to not give up as much in the paint. And more importantly for them, I think, to get to the paint. I mean, their offense, they were driving, slashing. They were opening up a lot of wide open shots by penetrating. It's not as easy to do that when you have to get into Brook Lopez and then also find an open guy. So I think we're going to need to see more Lopez. I think he's ready to play in this series. I just think he's a 16-game player. And they need him with the way this team is built and the injury to Dante. They need him to play and be good. And I think he's up for it. I mean, look, I think you can make the argument that in terms of consistency, he's been the second best buck throughout this playoff run, like on both ends of the court. Um, and when you take yeah. both ends of the court into account, he's been great. But I think like when you mentioned the pick your poison thing, and I agree with you that Brooke 
probably should have been on the court more. And even like what you were mentioning, Jackson tweeting, it's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Him on the court, it's like, oh, you might give up, you know, a, a couple uncontested jumpers, or like mid-range jumpers to guys who can make them. It's like, yeah, that's not great, but I'd probably rather that than just give up uncontested layups. Yeah. A big part of this is just the Suns are really, really good, man. And like yeah. something I've talked about is that th- like the Chris Paul, Devin Booker backcourt is like a backcourt made in modern basketball heaven because their combination and like the not even just like co- combination, but each of them can do like the shooting, the pick and roll prowess, the multi-level scoring, right? Like the three level scoring that both of them have. You just add it all up. And it's like the fact that each of them can do that and you combine their powers in the modern game. It's like, man, that is really, really, really tough to stop especially when you surround them with shooting and a very capable big man in DeAndre Ayton. Like, it's hard to stop that. And I think, you know, for as much crap as Bud has taken over the years, and I am as, has been at times as loud as any of those critics, including at times during this playoff run, I don't really think this is necessarily on him. Again, are there things he could, like, yeah, should Brooke Lopez get some more time? Yes, but in terms of, like, scheme-wise... Look, they the Bucks started game one switching everything to like yeah. not allow, you know, the easy mid-range jumpers and, and dropping back. And they got picked apart because Devin Booker and Chris Paul are really damn good. And then when they do play more of a drop, as you mentioned, the second half of game one, it keeps going that way because, again, Devin Booker and Chris Paul and CP especially, if you give them those mid-range jumpers, can just absolutely dice you up like that. Um and then game two, I thought, especially to start the game, the Bucks and Drew Holiday especially did a really, really good job of, you know, they started with Drew on CP and Drew did an excellent job fighting through screens. They were not just conceding like automatic switches. And by the end of that first quarter, they were down anyway because, um, you know, what was happening too is the Bucks seemed to be a lot more aggressive, like helping off of guys to contest if if the pick and rolls did lead to maybe what looked like a potential CP or Booker drive or mid-range jumper, the Bucks were sending guys from at the corners, the weak side, or whatever. But then it's like, well, both those guys, as I was mentioning, are both very capable playmakers and they're surrounded with guys who can shoot. And then they were just finding the open guy. Like, man, you talk about pick your poison. There was even after the first quarter when um, Bud had the like mid-quarter uh, sideline interview there, and he even mentioned at one point when they asked him, when I think it was Malika Andrews who asked him, like, mm. what do you do? Like, they made eight threes in the first quarter. What do you do? And and at one point, Bud straight up said, he's like, you got to hope they don't keep making them at this rate. And again, I know it's very easy to laugh at that or it's very easy to dunk on him on Twitter and being like, well, that's not an adjustment. But it's like, man, if you if you look at the different things the Bucks had tried up to that point already in this series through just five quarters – I thought that was actually a very reasonable answer from Bud that like, yo, at some point you just got to hope, you know, that they don't make threes at this rate because, yeah, like, so I don't know. What are your thoughts on like, based on what we've already seen the Bucks try, are there really that many options? Like we talk about adjustments a lot, but like at the end of the day, it's basketball. There's only so much you can do. You can't like reinvent the wheel here, you know? Like, yeah, I mean, again, there's a few tweaks, but I thought the funniest thing is people will still just be like, but it ter- never makes any adjustments. He's done so many different... You could argue too many adjustments in game <laughs> one going to the drop the way they did in the second half. I thought the switching wasn't as bad as it probably seemed. Um, but yeah, I think 
they're just going to have to play better at the end of the day. Um, you know, if Mikhail Bridges and Jay Crowder are going to hit a lot of threes, and Mikhail just hit everything. Tr- hats off to him. Terrific game. But clearly the Bucks were saying, we're not going to let Aiton feast like he did in game one. Because Aiton's the, Aiton's the perfect player for that backcourt because he's going to take whatever's given to him. He's not going to try and do too much. He's not going to demand post-ups. He's not going to take a bunch of stumb mid-rangers. He's going to get to the rim whenever he's able and take what you can get him, take what the defense gives him. Bucks didn't give him anything. They made it harder, especially early, for CP and Book to get shots. So then it comes down to can Crowder and Bridges and Torrey Craig hit shots, and those guys all did in this game. And at that point, I think the Bucks did adjust. I think we didn't see those guys shooting as much in the second half. But you do have to, to a certain extent, tip your caps. It's like, okay, there's no defense that takes away everything. If we take away basically the primary pick and roll players, there's nothing you can do about the role players. Like you can't do that without giving up extra personnel. So I didn't think it was a bad bet. I thought it didn't work, but I certainly don't think the Bucs, even though Phoenix shot so well from three, I don't think it was like, oh, they gave up open wide open threes. They had some blown coverages, but schematically, I think they moved away from that after the hot start for the Suns. And they just, their offense stalled out again um, for the most, outside of Giannis, of course. Uh, and defensively, you know, you lose a couple three-point shooters, but honestly, you give up 118 when Mikhail Bridges has 27 and the Suns hit 20 of 43s. That's not that many points for those numbers. Like, I didn't, again, I didn't think it was a horrible defensive outing. I think sometimes it just looks bad because of the way Book and CP can hit shots, but there's nothing, there's literally, there's almost nothing you can do. Like, CP made a shot with Bucks on either side of him, sandwiching him, getting fouled and it still went in like at a certain point you have to concede they're going to hit the mid-rangers and the bucks have done this but i mean like watching the games you have to just go there's nothing a team can do it's like if you looked if phoenix lost i wonder if people would have been like i can't believe they didn't game plan to stop Giannis. like it didn't do what like there's only so many options at this yeah. level when the players are this good so um i i yeah i agree i didn't think schematics killed them at all in this game i thought they they came out with a, a pretty tight game plan and they played it better outside of breaking down and losing some shooters which just can't happen and not hustling enough but that's not on butt either um the lopez thing was the one gripe but otherwise it was just like guys need to play better and, and hit more shots and execute offensively and this could have been a bucks win What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our featured content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. Shifting focus to the series shifting to Milwaukee now, games three and four, but let's start with game three because they, you know, you got to win one. You got to get the next one before you can get two, three, and four. There's obvious stuff, you know, like Giannis playing out of his mind or, okay, as, as we mentioned, yes, Drew and Chris just playing anything close to their capabilities, but like, other than those couple of things, like, is there anything from watching the first two games that does encourage you or that you can say, okay, like if this just changes a little, like th- this will be fine or maybe not fine, but like they're, they're very much still in this series. Is there anything or is it a yeah. lot of grasping at straws? No, I, th- I think the one thing, the general thing is just like the fact that they hung in there and competed until the end in both of these games on the road 
despite glaring, I think game one, I, I thought Bud was not good in game one. I didn't like the, the tweaks that were made. And again, the offense just stalled out and wasn't good enough. But game two, the way Chris and Drew both played and, you know, single digit game, you know, past the midpoint of the fourth quarter, I think in both. So that in itself, it's like, okay, even if you're low on the bucks after watching that, and it's hard not to be at least lower on the bucks, you've got to look at that and go with how close those games were. You flip it to in Milwaukee instead of in Phoenix, they're going to have a good shot almost by default to, if not win, at least be right there in these games. I think they're going to, they're going to have a good shot to win these games after how close those were at home. The second one though, and this is just game two. Well, two-parter a Giannis looks much better he still looks like he's laboring but clearly he's finding ways to dominate and the bucks get an extra off day before both three and four which feels so huge for him right now b finding ways for lopez to look good and stay on the floor because like i said he's clearly their fourth best player so you could argue higher you definitely been better than their fourth most consistent player this run you just can't banish him to the bench like they just don't have enough like I love Pat. I argued blindly after a huge win that, you know, if they win the title, consider putting the jersey in the rafters because he came out of nowhere and has been so consistent. It's a whole nother can of worms. Um, hey, you said he was their second best player in the finals game, man. He was exactly. their second best player he's, in the finals game. Everyone thought this guy stunk and should have went to the Orioles to play baseball. And he's been huge this run. And that means something to me. But they, you just can't. You he can't might also not. be the Orioles best player if he, if he was on the team. That's, this that's true. But yeah, they just, they need low. You can't play Lopez 28 and PJ Tucker 35, who I love Tuck, but just not giving you offense and Pat 34. It's just, he's doing literally everything he can, but that's, it's not as much as Lopez can do. So I think seeing tape where, and I think Bud and the Bucks coaching staff will see this tape of like, oh, Brooke wasn't really played off the floor at all in this game. He was actually helping probably should have played him more. That's encouraging. Cause if, we haven't really seen him in these playoffs get played off the floor entirely. They've It happens for a game. They make adjustments, and he's back. If there is ever a series where he actually couldn't play this iteration of the Bucks, I think they're just done. Like, they don't have enough guys. So um, that Giannis playing so good at the five helps with that, but I just think you need minutes from Brooke. So that would, those would be the things that encourage me. I, I think they could still legitimately win this series, but now suddenly the margins are so tight in these next two where – if you have another stinker like this from Drew and or Chris, then you're probably just done unless Giannis can find a way or Pat or whoever else. The one thing I'll say too, and obviously like, you know, no one hopes for injuries. I understand that. But, you know, if the Bucks do get game three, you know, it, obviously they'd have a chance to win game four at home. Like if this does turn into a long series after a long playoff run for both teams and a condensed like if, if this becomes kind of a war of attrition, like as it keeps going, I do think it starts to tilt Milwaukee's way because with Saric out, yeah. with Craig, we don't know now, you know, whether it's a, a long-term thing or not. Like, not that Milwaukee's the deepest team this season, but the Suns would have, like, some, you know, legit rotation guys. And I know Dante DiVincenzo's been out too, but I just think, you know, with Saric and potentially Craig out, I do think if this series goes long, which obviously it would have to now anyway for the Bucks to win, I, then I do think it would start tilting milwaukee's way but you know obviously yes you gotta get game three and preferably game four first um on that as note, well just quickly uh i think sam cooper we did a, a pregame collab pod who covers the suns does the timeline podcast very good work sam and mike but he mentioned like one of the ways the bucks could flip a game easily is Aiton gets in foul trouble or fouls out because he's so important 
He's yep. even more important now. They're out of front court players. Like it's Kaminsky and Abdul Nader had to check in last night because they just don't have. Yeah. I mean, Tory Craig was essentially the backup four or five once Saric got hurt because Kaminsky's just yep. tough uh, to play at this point. Um, but yeah, so that's the thing. Like Aiton now becomes such an important figure because I mean, the, the Suns couldn't really stop Giannis even with Aiton. But without him, I mean, he could just literally, he was just going down to the paint, getting the ball there and immediately get they, and people were talking about his whistle. They were take fouling him. Like there was not questionable yeah. calls. I mean, a lot of those were just like, we're just going to wrap you up. Like we're going to make you sink the free throws because there's no resistance at the rim. No one outside of Aiton can do anything about him down low. So really becomes crucial. Like if you can get those early fouls on Aiton or, or anything, suddenly the minutes without him, the Bucks just need to steamroll. And that's where Giannis will keep stepping up. But like Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, like when you see that guy, DeAndre Ayton, sit down, go get to the paint right away. Like I don't want to see yep. contested jumper with 18 seconds left. There's not resistance down there. It's like the Atlanta series without Capella. You got to take advantage of that over and over and over. Yeah, and even on the offensive end, to be honest, like if if Aiton's yeah. in foul trouble and not on the court, like that takes a, a big chunk of their offense away too, especially because with Saric not there, like they lose a ton of their like small ball reserve unit kind of thing. And then if Aiton's not there to be the kind of physical yeah. big guy, um, roller, finisher, whatever, lob threat, like that, that's a big impediment yeah. to their offense as well as, as potent as it is. So yeah, I, I agree. I think um, Aiton being in foul trouble, which isn't out of the realm of possibility given the mismatch with Giannis in a lot of ways yeah, could be big for last night for a guy yeah. who's done really well at not fouling. It's obviously tougher yep. when you're picking up Giannis, but yeah, definitely. Uh, and yep. I like your point on the other end. I mean, he was bullying guys like Tucker who have done so well as small ball fives in game one and just going right over yeah. him. They don't have anyone else who can really do that. So the pick and roll becomes a lot less dangerous without Aiton out there as well. Good point. Yeah, yeah, I don't think Abdul Nader is bullying uh, PJ Tucker. <laughs> if he is, uh, the Bucks have bigger problems. <laughs> yeah, if he is, then uh, Suns and four, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, all right, last one. I'll, I'll let you get out of here. But um, all right, don't want to be Mister Negative. Don't want to, you know, bring too many negative thoughts. But they are down to nothing. And I'm curious from you, like, to get your take and perspective on this because, again, you're not just like a neutral observer that you know wants to troll the Bucks. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you this. If this series goes the way it's looked through two games, you know, if they kind of seem out of answers, if Drew and Chris, for whatever reason, just don't show up this series and they get swept or losing five, or it just don't really put up enough of a fight. Do you think making the finals has saved Mike Brunholzer's job for now? And do you think if things were to keep going like this, that both of Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday would be back this year. And I understand next year. And I understand both of them contractually, yes, have very lucrative long-term deals, but it's the NBA. We know things can happen. So th those would be my questions to you. If it keeps going this way, is it possible Budenholzer gets canned even though they made the finals? And do you think one of Chris or Drew or maybe both are shopped? I think I probably would think Bud would have a better chance of being back than both of those two if it keeps going like this. Um, and certainly would not have expected to say that coming in. But again, I, I thought he was bad game one. We'll have to see how the rest of the series goes. But if most of it is close to how game two went for Bud, like was not perfect, but certainly like not the reason they lost, did not take them out of winning range. Like we've seen games before where 
you know, sticking to his guns for way too long or whatever other bizarre decision has been like, oh my God, it's crippling. You just can't deal with that. That wasn't really a game two, sort of game one, but also Drew was bad in game one as well. Um, so I, I think there's an easier case almost to keep Bud than there is to not try to shake up the players. Cause I think that's been the bigger issue through two games. And Chris was pretty good in game one. I think he had 29, but um, I, I certainly think they would look at moves. And this is one where I would have been like, ah, I don't know. Are they going to be that aggressive? But after how high the bucks have been his whole career on Dante, trying to flip him to upgrade to Bogdanovich before the year, I think he's probably going to end up somewhere else too, by the way. But um, I, I think they're going to be aggressive to surround Giannis with talent. And maybe that was more inclined because of, you know, the extension situation and really wanting to make sure that Penn gets put to paper there. But I think they're going to be aggressive because you realize, I mean, the Milwaukee Bucks outside of Giannis, probably not going to have a lot of room to contend for quite a while. I mean, they were really good in the eighties, but they had no one like Giannis. So they never made the finals, right? Like they really good in, in for like two years around 2000, uh, very close to making the finals, but didn't make it. So, you know, this is the time to be aggressive. That's why I don't mind the drew trade still. It was a good bargain. There's only so many guys who are going to be available. And with the limited bucks assets, you just have to do what you can to get more of them. Uh, but certainly I think if it keeps going like this and we get another stinker, from both of those guys, I don't see why you wouldn't aggressively look to make a trade somehow. And I don't know what it would be, but somehow that gets Giannis the help he needs because that, that to me was more glaring and felt worse than the way game one went. I think they'd have to at least listen like, or yeah, be aggressive in seeking out a move that could potentially move the needle, raise their postseason ceiling. Cause like you, you said, just outside of Giannis, the Bucs, well, most teams wouldn't sniff contention. You know, like I say it all the time, 12 teams have won a championship in this league in the last 40 years, in the last four decades. Like, it's a very championship-exclusive league, uh, obviously a very superstar-driven league. And you can make the argument, not even anything against Milwaukee, but just, like, statistically speaking, you can make the argument, the Bucs will probably never have a talent like Giannis again because he's that yeah. good and, like, that generational, and that talent is that hard to come by. So... Absolutely. I think, you know, that's not even a knock on Drew and Chris. That's a team doing what it needs to do to try to elevate its championship ceiling. I think the tough part might be finding a deal that actually does make them better while shipping one of those guys yeah, out. And I think I that's... I think it's easy. I don't think it's as easy as people on Twitter seem to think. Exactly. I, um, I'll pass on all the CJ swaps. Not interested. He, no thanks. Right. And, and that's what I'm saying, right? Because like if both Middleton and Drew for as good as they are like, okay, their, their deals are their deals. I don't necessarily think they're on bad deals given the caliber of player each is, but they're, they're not on the most movable deals I would say. And so it's not like you're trading one of those guys for like, I don't like a Bradley Beal, for example, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't really make sense from Washington's perspective to do that. If they're trading Beal to what rebuild with Middleton or Drew holiday at this stage in their yeah. career. So like, that's the thing. It's not like you're getting a guy like that. And if you're not getting a guy like that and you're going one tier lower, like, are you really upgrading if you're giving up one of Middleton or Drew to get a guy that's, say, not as good as Beal? Or like you mentioned, like to bring in CJ McCollum, you're not actually getting better. No. And so I think that'll prove to be the challenge if they do seek to move one of those guys, which I could see. It's like, how do you move a guy that good? Maybe not as good as you need them to be or want them to be, but it's still very good. How do you move a guy that good on that contract while getting better? I I don't know if they can. 
Yeah, it's going to be challenging for sure. And I think you almost need to get a little lucky and have a someone trying to get out of somewhere situation that's interested in playing with Giannis. Yeah. That's just that's what the league has become, right? I yeah. mean, the Lakers, Lakers didn't have the best Anthony Davis package, but they had the only one that mattered. So, yeah. um, and obviously it helps to play in LA with that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, but yeah, it's it's gonna be, hopefully don't have to worry about it. They come back and win, and then we can yeah. at least pretend it's not an issue for another year. <laughs> yes. No. No. I like that. Let's let's end it like that on some positive vibes uh, for yourself and and for all of uh, Bucks Nation. I want to call it uh, Deer District. I guess. Yeah, district. <laughs> yes. For all of the Deer District, let's end it on a positive note. Uh, Ty, thanks so much for joining me today, man. It was uh, it was a blast to talk bucks with you and talk finals in general and and hopefully for your sake and like i said for the sake of deer district it's at least more of a series the next time you have to chat about this series fingers crossed man thanks much for having me joseph yes sir all right thanks again to ty for joining us things go as planned wolf on will be back next week and so our usual two-man game will be back in action the next time you tune in by that time maybe the Suns are champs we don't know couple fan shout outs to get to the first one uh not sure where she's listening from how long she's been a fan any of that but sarah wong wanted to get her shout out she did reply to i can't even remember that was a couple weeks back to one of myself or wolf on uh after some playoff related tweet i believe saying that she was looking forward to the next pod so sarah we saw that thank you for being a fan and then nathan aguda from houston goes by nate x poodle on ig nate poodle said because nate dog was taken uh that's brilliant he said he is a day one fan from the original days with will lou got a will lou shout out in there and even proved his day one fandom by referencing our old make or miss segment which any other day one fans will probably remember nate said he loves our perfect mix of banter humor and quote-unquote good ass basketball analysis which that is what we strive to provide good ass basketball analysis uh, Nathan says he never misses an episode and he always recommends us to his friends and said we deserve compliments regardless of whether he gets a shout out or not. We appreciate that, Nathan, but no, you deserve a damn shout out and then some for that gracious note. So sincerely appreciate the support, Nathan, and we sincerely appreciate everyone in this Pound the Rock community. Encourage everyone in that community, again, to reach out on social media, Twitter, Instagram, email, whatever. Let me know. Let us know how long you've been a fan, where you're listening from. Provide whatever feedback you want, and we will get you a shout out on a future episode. With that, that does it for another episode, number 190 of Pound the Rock. And when we are back for 191, Joe Wolfon will be back in the fold. Until then, for Joe Wolfon, for Ty Windish, I'm Joseph Cacharo, Pound the Rock.